Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I got served off a bowl of dog soup when I was in this temple in, in North Korea, which is quite an odd experience. As it is going to be impossible to discuss every travel anecdote that you have, I'm going to go through some questions to find out how you rank some of the, the places that you've been to. I went downstairs to leave the hotel and I could just hear gunshots outside, blowing up the prison wall, all the prisoners have escaped and the police are chasing them. I'm stuck in my hotel and we were on, lock we were on lockdown then, it was like three years ago or whatever, and there's just people running, the police are just running around shooting like trying to shoot criminals on the streets. Coming up next, you're doing this row across the Atlantic. Two hours rowing, two hours resting, 24 hours a day for seven or eight weeks. So you don't ever really wow. probably sleep. When I finished my journey to every country for about nine months, I, like, I didn't really realize it until the following year. I got fat, I was drinking loads, like five, six nights a week. I wasn't, my business went to shit. I wasn't doing any of my accounts. And then I look back at it retrospectively and I'm like, whoa, I was hesitant to use the word, but I was probably depressed, you know? Yes, people, welcome to the Football and Feelings podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Liam, as always. I hope you're keeping well and finding some joy in every day throughout these very tough times for us all. If you've enjoyed any of these podcasts or if you enjoyed this one, feel free to give it a five-star rating on iTunes or subscribe to the YouTube channel. It will help me grow the show more and more of every episode. But let's crack on with this episode. I want to introduce you to our next guest. It's a man who has visited every country in the world. He's completed various monstrous challenges on the way, such as six marathons in six days across the Sahara, uh, cycling the complete length of Thailand in just 13 days. It's Globetrotter and Liverpool fan, Johnny Ward. How are you, sir? Hey, mate. Very good. Thanks for having me on. No, it's a pleasure, mate. It's a pleasure. I want to start with a bit of football chat. Uh, as you're a Liverpool fan, like I said before we started recording, I might have caught you at a bad time. Um, nah. As we are recording this, it's the, the morning after Liverpool lost to Burnley 1-0. But how are you feeling amidst that result and some of like your injury issues that you've had recently? Obviously, the last... I I live in Thailand. Normally, I flew back to the UK where I am now in mid-December for some health and safety stuff for a challenge I'm about to do. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so since I've been back in the UK, it's just been a bit of a disaster being a Liverpool fan. Um, I've, I've been watching the football with my brother-in-law before I got bubbled out with the new lockdowns. I'm in an Airbnb now, but he knows I'm a massive fan. And his son, my nephew, now is a Liverpool fan because I send him loads of Liverpool gear with his name all over it, trying to convert him young. And I've got him now. He's six. So that's good. Um, anyway, so we've been watching it together and he just is thinking like, what's been going on? You hear all this glorious stuff about Liverpool over the years and they were crap. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's a, the injuries. Obviously, Van Dijk made us, we're playing deeper now. If you see the average position, we're playing 10, 15 metres deeper now. So that means that our counter press in midfield's deeper, winning the ball back deeper. So that's obviously hurting us. But it's also, I mean, I hate to say, it's a bit of after having such good fortune for two years, we're, 
yes, we've been playing badly, but our XG is high, our chances are high, not not so much high quality chances, but all added up, they should have led the goals over the last four games. So yes, it's a slump, but it's also been a, a, like an unlucky series of slumps back to back. So I'm worried, but it's not a crisis. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that Klopp has to take some of the responsibility in that with, with ah. Yotta getting injured? Yeah, he, yeah. Like, he played a good team in the Champions League, that Champions League game, it didn't really matter at that point. And against yeah. Aston Villa, youth as well. Yeah, I mean, both those decisions are questionable, but I really, you talk about having credit in the bank, Jurgen Klopp will have a statue outside Anfield. So, yeah, should he have played Jota? But hindsight's twenty twenty. If Jota scored a hat-trick and he hadn't played against Wolves the week before, same as Salah had just come back, that's why he played against Michelin. And equally then, you can get injured at any time, can't you? Should I mean, I'm trying to defend him because he's given me so much joy over the last yeah. two and a half years. I think um, if it had been Hodgson or someone back in the day doing it, you'd be ready to tie him up. But with Klopp... I just got so much trust in what he's done that any small mistakes are forgiven considering the genius that he's brought to the turnaround of the club. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair enough to be fair. But also you've had the the added stress over the years of watching Liverpool in various different time zones. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure that's been stressful, staying up until ungodly hours to watch a, I don't know, yeah. a 1-0 loss against Burnley, for example. Yeah, yeah so like, I'm a real, like... I'm obsessed with numbers. I think maybe that's how I did my every country thing. You know, like this whole autism as a gradient thing. For sure, I'm on that spectrum somewhere. I'm obsessed with countries and capitals and flags. And mm. I read stats all day long for football. I spend two two hours a day probably on football forums. I'm really obsessed with it. So for sure, there's something in me that loves that. So I never miss games. Like I'd be in the Congo or Uzbekistan or whatever, like messaging people on social media. Can I use their Wi-Fi so I can get the game? So I probably only missed in the last... It took me, what, 12 years to visit every country in the world. I probably only missed a handful of games, no matter what the time zone or where I am or whatever. That's class. I, I think that speaks volumes to to a fan base. And there are certain football fans that still believe that if you don't go to games live regularly, then you're not a real fan. And that, that yeah. really pisses me off, to be honest. In the global game, it's tough. Like, obviously, I'm Irish. You can hear from my accent. But, you know, we claim Liverpool as the capital of Ireland. We've got more Irish people there than anywhere. <laughs> um, that's just a bit elitist, isn't it? It's even even now, with football being so expensive, you could even be in the city. And if you're, like, I come from a working-class, single-parent background. Like, I, even if I was from Liverpool, I wouldn't have been going to the games as a kid anyway. I wouldn't have been able to afford it. So then what? Are they also not fans? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. I'm an Arsenal fan. We've got the highest season ticket prices in the league. You'd need in the a world? mortgage to pay. I think it's in the world, mate. Probably in the world, yeah, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to hear if football has helped you sort of connect with people around the world on your travels. Because from my experience, uh, in Thailand especially, I used to go watch Thai pork quite often. Um, and it was an amazing mix of like foreigners and Thai people all just having a few beers, enjoying the atmosphere. It was just incredible. It's like a catalyst for getting to know someone, you know? Yeah, 100%. Uh, that's a massive thing. Sometimes I travel, I've got a couple of American friends I travel with sometimes. And when we're in obscure countries, they're, they're really left out because that's exactly what football is. It's a massive building block. And then because I support a mainstream team like Liverpool, it's instant camaraderie. I mean, I remember I was um, going to the North Pole two years ago and, and you leave to get to the North Pole from this island, the most, ar- the most northern inhabited island in the world. It's called Svalbard the middle of nowhere in the Arctic Circle, belongs to Norway. And I'd just either just gone to the North Pole or just come back from the North Pole. And Liverpool were playing during the Champions League winning year, or maybe it was season mm. four. And I couldn't find anywhere with decent internet or whatever happened. 
and I tweeted out and I ended up at the Liverpool Supporters Club watching the game down the pub in this bloody island called Svalbard and I was even heard of and there's like mm. 12 Liverpool fans watching the game in there. Brilliant. Yeah, that's class. There are, it seems to be only a few clubs have quite the same sort of, um, I, don't, I don't know what the word is, like quite as many fan clubs around the world. Um, like Celtic always have them. Uh, yeah. Liverpool always seems to have them. I was I went to a Liverpool uh, bar in, um, I think it was in Seoul, and it was just all Liverpool themed. It was it was class, but obviously Seoul's quite um quite westernised anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious to hear why you you chose Thailand as your adopted home because it's it's obviously so well connected um to the outside world with Bangkok Airport is so well connected. But I'm sure that's not that's not the only reason. Um yeah, so I went to university. I'm like I say, I'm Irish. I went to university in England. Graduated from uni at 22. I wanted to go travelling. But I didn't have any money through this whole gap year thing, and my mum didn't couldn't pay for my gap year, and nor should she. Uh, so I had to work basically if I wanted to travel. So I want to do my year out, like lots of people do when they're young, but I couldn't afford to travel, so I had to work if I wanted to have an adventure. So I ended up learning about the whole concept of teaching English as a foreign language. Anyone listening to this probably dreads their kid having me as an English teacher speaking like this. But anyway, that's what I did. So I ended up um, teaching English in Thailand for a year in two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. And then I started my blog and my journey to every country in the world and I started making money. So once I started making money online, even, even just 500 bucks a month or something I was making. And then that was roughly what I was making when I was teaching English. I was making about 700, 800 teaching English. So then I moved back to Thailand because I knew I could get by on a low amount of money per month. So I taught there originally. And then when I started making money online, that's where I moved back to basically. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. You, I know you also... Uh, on your travels, you got like the working visa for Australia, was it? Like you were really just yeah. ticking all of the all the backpacker boxes. Yeah, I'm a cliche. Yeah, there is something though about um about the the lifestyle you can live in Thailand for the same money. Like I, when I remember when I was there, paying two two hundred and fifty or something like that for for my apartment right. and with a gym, a pool, like a, a nice flat as well. I mean, that wouldn't get me anywhere in England. Yeah, uh, I bought an investment property here last year in Slough, which is not the, mm. the loveliest pocket. Of <laughs> yeah. And it's, I'm renting it out and it's over a grand a month. I'm thinking, God, people are paying a grand a month to live in my crap apartment in Slough. And then you think, like, what grand a month would get you in Thailand? Mm. Yeah, yeah, completely different. Um, At what point on your travels did you decide to, not? we'll come on to the blogging, but also when you decided to, that decided that you wanted to visit every country in the world was it a, a decision that you made or did you just manage to have a large portion ticked off and then before you knew it you were you had the ball was rolling kind of a bit of both so I hadn't traveled much growing up I'd only been to two or three countries by the time I was 18 we didn't go on many holidays and stuff I think we went overseas maybe two or three times until I was 18 didn't have the money so when I moved to Thailand after uni then I taught for a year and then I traveled all around Asia so like let's say maybe 20 countries or so and then i went to australia like you mentioned um on a working holiday visa like half of ireland do and lived there for a year and then i quit my job because i was depressed working in an office and i spent a year traveling from cape town to cairo through africa from the bottom of africa all the way to the top all via public transport buses and taxis and all it was wild and anyway that's when i started making my kind of five six hundred dollars a month from a blog and with that i moved back to thailand like i mentioned um and then I counted up my countries and I was on 49 countries then from the last, like that took me maybe all that Asia stuff and Australia and Africa, maybe three, four years or whatever it was. And I knew there was roughly 200 countries in the world. And I thought I kind of like accidentally visited a quarter of the world. So at, at that point, 
I set a target to visit 100 countries by the time I was 30 and every country in the world by 35. That was my goal then. Once I hit 49, I was like, oh, this could be possible. Mm, yeah, incredible. We'll come on to, on to some of those countries later on. But um, with, with the blogging, when you started that blog up, how long did it take you before you were before you were earning an income from it? And I'm sure it wasn't quite as easy as, um, as, it, as it might sound. It was quite easy and it still is quite easy. <laughs> People just quit too early, you know. People are, they don't have any resilience when things get tough. But um, it's not very. I'm awful with technology, and I'm not a very good writer, and I'm a terrible photographer, and I've managed to make it work. So really, if anyone sticks with it and, and follows the basics, you can make it work. You can't necessarily make millions of dollars, but you can absolutely make a living from it. And so I started when I started my blog in 2010, so 10 years ago, when I was actually still in Australia on my working holiday visa. I was working in an office depressed, like I said. So I just used that time in the office to not work and start my blog. But I couldn't, I don't even know how to start a blog or anything. I hired a Filipino guy to do it for me for a hundred dollars. Um, he did that. Let's say I started that 11 years ago, January, 2010. And then I flew to South Africa. I was in Africa in the South Africa world cup in 2008. So I went there and then, uh, within about six to nine months, I was making about 500 bucks a month. And I'm not a flash guy, so I can get by with $500 a month. So then I was kind of afloat, just about afloat at that point. And then mm-hmm. I was kind of free to both travel and to try to grow it into something a bit bigger. I presume that was just from placing ads, I guess? Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's kind of an SEO thing, but you, you place sponsored content on your site that helps other companies help their mm-hmm. Google rankings. But essentially, it's an ad, yeah. You're placing ads. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Do you think that your timing was key in terms of your success with that? Because... I know so many people want to fund their travels in, in similar ways and there's there's an abundance of options everywhere now. Um, yeah, I mean, the timing helped, but for example, I'm stuck here now, right, in England. I'm rarely in England and I'm in an Airbnb here for a month while I'm trying to get to Lanzarote for this next challenge. And I've always got people asking me on, on Instagram or on through my blog, my email, um, to, can I show them how to do it? Because I'm always telling people that's not very complicated, which it's not. And... I never have time to help people because I'm always traveling, doing stuff. And now I'm stuck here with lockdown, blah, blah, blah. I'm helping three people. And at the same time, three people in a couple of days said, listen, can you help me? And I'm doing like coaching calls with them, six sets of 30 minutes. One's a 50 year old lady who doesn't know anything. One's a a Scottish couple who want to get into travel blogging. They're about my age, kind of 30, 35. And um, one's an American guy living in Colombia who's a bit more clued up on tech and wants to see, know how to do the money side of it. And I'm sure, 100% sure, if they all follow what I've told them, that within a year they'll all be making like at least a grand on a month. And then that's enough to fund your travels if you're cheap or it's a great side hustle to put money away for a deposit for a house or invest in crypto or whatever you want to do with it. So, yeah, for sure there's still like, yeah, the timing helped, but there's always space for someone who knows what they're doing. That's interesting. I might, I might have to check that out then. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, did, did you, do you still get the same thrill when you're traveling? Because now you've been to so many countries. Um, does, does it wear off or is that novelty still there? You know, I like to say yes, but I think if anyone's followed me from back in the day when I first started and to now when I finished every country, and I'm like a drug addict just going to more and more extreme things. So, mm. yeah, I still absolutely love hopping border to border, but now my financial situation is a bit better and and I get a lot of opportunities with my blog to do stuff. It, it It's not like unheard of for me to get an email tonight from like Qatar to go and speak at a conference next week, not during COVID, obviously. You know what I mean? So, mm. Whereas 10 years ago, the thought of that sounds so rock and roll. I would have loved it, but now it just becomes part of your life. So it doesn't, 
feel as exciting. And that's how I end up doing all these stupid things like North Pole and Sahara ultramarathons and all that. You got to find your buzz elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, just trying to outdo yourself every time. Yeah. Now, um, what what was it about traveling that really appealed to you? Was it the the freedom, the the places, or, or the people? Hundred yeah. percent the freedom. It was the freedom initially, and still is. I don't ever want. Um, to be instructed when I can take holidays or having to get a bloody letter to say you've been at the dentist. I mean, I'm 37 years old, get a grip. You know, I don't need people to tell me what to do. So it was the freedom. And then what, and my blogs are getting popular because I was this guy without much money, single parent, blah, 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 and a tough situation. And then I realized that every time you look at people doing cool stuff online, it's either some like smoking hot girl or some rich, older, white, posh guy. You know, like it's always posh people climbing Mount Everest. It's always posh people like sailing across the world. And I think it's cool then that my story, like single parent guy from Ireland can achieve big things. And I, then I, it was the freedom for me selfishly that originally started. And then now I think it's cool. That I can show people that you can come from any walk of life or any financial background and still make cool things happen and, and do stuff that you always thought was just for another old white posh guy that you'd see on BBC. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's good i'm sure that will that will ease some people who aren't too sure if they sort of have yeah. the the funds to travel or if they're considering it um, as it is going to be impossible to discuss every travel anecdote that you have we'd need a six hour long episode i think i'm gonna go through some questions to find out how you rank some of the the places that you've been to if you're if you're going for that let's do it sound uh okay a easy one oh not an easy one off the bat favorite country I know it's going to be quick. So, I mean, favorite country to live in is Thailand. Favorite okay. country to visit. It's a bit controversial now after the last 10 months that we've had, but probably China. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Where, where in China? So, I mean, you go to countries like Iran or Sri Lanka and the people are really friendly, like crazy friendly. You can hardly pay for your own cup of tea. China is not like that, let's say, diplomatically. Mm. But what it does have is a huge mass. So you've got like Paradise Islands in the east, like around Hainan, you've got Tibet. I mean, strictly speaking, although they should be recognized in their independent countries, they're not. You've got Hong Kong in there. Then you've got the big powerhouses like Beijing and Shanghai. And then you've got rural China, inland China, like Shangri-La. And, and there's a city in the Northwest called Urumqi where you have kind of Eurasian looking, almost Caucasian Chinese people. Uh, where their Chinese Muslim population lives and they're almost white but speaking full Chinese accents eating noodles and it's like a really interesting cultural mix so mm. just it offers so much it offers everything that you could want as a traveler yeah yeah one thing that's not quite the same but Japan is one place that I went to that I'd, I'd love to go back um, and part of that that reason is because they don't give a toss what we are doing here. They're like, they're so, they have their own culture. They have their own little trips away internally. And it's just, yeah, I, yeah. I'd, I'd love to see that because you get sick of going to places sometimes and everyone, like, they want the, the foreigners to be there so much yeah. because they need the tourism, whereas Japan's not asked. Yeah, cool country. I was there last year, actually. I do a lot of um, charity stuff these days and my mum's got Parkinson's and she's, for her 70th birthday, I took a group of oldies to um, Mount Fuji and we all climbed Mount Fuji together for Cure Parkinson's. It was cool. Oh, class. Incredible. Well, we'll definitely come on to some of that charity work that you, that you have been doing. Um, onto these questions, though. One, crunch, one country that you wouldn't return to and why? There's a country in West Africa called Guinea. Not Papua New Guinea and not Guinea-Bissau. It's Guinea. Right. It's where Guinea Camera comes from. I don't know okay. if you remember. Okay, yeah. 
Um, and it is kind of lawless and a bit rough and ready. It took me like 18 hours in the back of a motorbike through the jungle to get into the country. And when I was there, I stayed in this crap Chinese hotel that some Chinese guy opened in the port. It was the only place that was open to foreigners, like because there's no tourist infrastructure. I was there for three nights, paid $100 a night. It was pretty expensive for West Africa. And absolute shithole, cockroaches all over my room. And then one, I tried to leave on the, mo- the third morning. I was like, I got to get out of this place because uh, Senegal is in the north of it. And that's a cool country. Um, and I wanted to get into Senegal. I went downstairs to leave the hotel and I could just hear gunshots outside. And I was like, oh, I've got a bus booked. What? I said to the reception girl, got a bus booked. What's going on? She's like, oh, they've blown up the prison wall. All the prisoners have escaped. The police wow. facing them. And I'm stuck in my hotel. And we were on lock. We were on lockdown then. It was like three years ago or whatever. And there's just people running. The police are just running around shooting, like trying to shoot criminals on the streets of, of Guinea. Conakry is the name of the capital, I think. And mm. It was a wild. It was horrible anyway. And then that happened. I'm like, get me out of this place. Well, yeah, I won't be booking a fight there anytime soon. Um, what about the most underrated place that you've been? Ah, that's a good question. Um, God, it's just because I've been everywhere. So, I've got so many answers. Mm. <laughs> um, a cool country, but I think it's starting to get a bit of a buzz. Actually, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm deep in the travel community. But it's Ethiopia. Have you been seeing, hearing much stuff about people I haven't, going there? To be honest, but okay, that's, that's cool. And it's got loads of cool stuff. There's this place in in northeast Ethiopia. It's the oldest Islamic city in Africa and there's this old generation of guys one guy lost his wife 150 years ago and he was really lonely he started feeding these wild hyenas outside the city and the hyenas have continued to die and breed and die and breed and they're kind of like friends with this family and his son then fed them and his son fed them and now there's a guy there about 40 who still feeds these wild hyenas and you can go and see the wild hyenas getting fed and when I went there he like sticks a big stick on his hand on his uh, he sticks a stick in his mouth and sticks a big bit of red meat on it and the hyena comes and bites the meat off, off the stick right face to face and then he sticks the stick in my mouth and he's like, you do it, you do it and I've got this massive hyena biting this piece of red meat like literally two centimetres from your nose Wow, yeah, I don't see that much in England <laughs> What about the most <laughs> overrated place that you've been? Ooh, wow Overrated Hmm you know, I'm quite a positive guy, to be honest, mate. And I feel like there's beauty to be found everywhere, whether it's the people that you meet or the things that you see. Yeah, I mean, of, obviously, no in Thailand. You know Thailand quite well yourself. Like, I would say Phuket is quite an overrated mm. place. Yeah, I didn't enjoy Phuket at all, to be honest. I don't, I don't like it. Anywhere that's been overdeveloped to chase tourist dollars. Cancun as well, another mm. shithole. Have you ever been there? Mm. I haven't been Cancun, no, no. But I imagine it to be almost similar to Phuket, but with slightly yeah. younger people. Yeah, they're not my... But then there's a guy, people want to go there, good luck to them, it's just not for me. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, this one might be quite difficult. What is the weirdest thing that you've ever seen? Oh. Oh, wow. I don't know, but I'm, I ate... Uh, i tell you the weirdest thing I've ever eaten is I'm a vegetarian, I have been for years, but when I wasn't, I went to North Korea and I got served up a bowl of dog soup when I was in this temple and in North Korea, which is quite an odd experience. And one time I was in one time I was in a night market in China. I was eating, I was handed this like street food again before it was a veg a veggie, and it was like a uh, circular piece of meat on it. And I don't know if you know that, but pigs' penises are are also like a little bit like their tails are called circular. Right. 
Okay. Well, I'm not surprised you're vegetarian after some of those things that you've eaten. <laughs> um, do you have? Do you still have a comfort zone? Yeah, of course. But I'm really wary of it because I know that like the whole cliche is so valid that like the magic happens outside your comfort zone. So I really try to challenge that literally on a daily basis. But a comfort zone I have when I'm in back in Bangkok with my missus and my mates and I've got my gym and I watch I know what time Liverpool are kicking off and I, I can I can drink on some days and I eat healthy on these days and I, I do have a routine there. Although I might just be saying that because I got locked down there over COVID. So I had to do that. I'd never done that previously, but that was quite a comfortable time for me. But then like you're, I'm a big believer in this mate, that the level of achievement, whatever you dub your achievement to be, whether it's financial traveling to every country in the world, having a good body, speaking lots of languages, whatever it is, the level of discomfort that you're willing to accept is directly correlated to the amount of success you're going to have in life. Uh, and I'm very conscious of that. So I try not to get too comfortable. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. What about the most interesting person that you've ever met? Wow. I know a guy who should have been interesting, but actually was boring. I met her. Uh, um, there's a guy called Robert Scott. Is his first name Robert? Anyway, he was the first British guy to try to go to the North Pole. I met his grandson when I was going to Antarctica one time, which is really cool. But actually, he was just a boring guy. He was living off his granddad's uh, story. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah that's that's disappointing what about oh, I, met, on your I met a really cool indian guy once he comes from like poverty in india and now he's a multi-millionaire he's about 33 34 super humble quiet guy i traveled with him in argentina and he made his money now he's got now he owns a little startup tech company that he's got offices in singapore and dubai which makes good money but he made when he was like 28 he, he met this russian guy because he's so lovely everyone loves him when you meet him and he met some Russian guy who turned out to be a billionaire and he brokered the sale of a submarine from some rich Indian guy to this Russian guy. And that's how he made his money. So he made like 500 grand off this submarine sale. And he was just a normal dude. Like he's not in that world. And then, and then he had this opportunity to do this. That's mad. Yeah, it's not what you know. It's who you know. Yeah, we yeah. Go. Have you ever, ever really struggled emotionally on your travels? Yes, actually, really badly when I finished my journey to every country, which was 2017, and I started in 2007, so basically it was 10 or 11 years. And my sister actually had warned me about it. She's quite a spiritual kind of hippie type girl, my sister is. And she had told me in advance, because she knows I'm a very like type A personality, set a goal, focus on it, blinkers, don't deviate, which is what I'm doing now for all my other new challenges. But this had been such a long one, 10 years. <clears throat> She told me to be, be ready for the low that I would feel after achieving it. Um, and then I went to my last country, which was Norway. I had a big celebration. Friends and family all came to my final country. And then, like, for about nine months, I, like, I didn't really realize it until the following year. I got fat. I was drinking loads, like, five, six nights a week. I wasn't – my business went to shit. I wasn't doing any of my accounts. Whatever came in, came in. I wasn't doing any outreach. I wasn't recording anything. Didn't produce any blog posts for months on end. And then I look back at it retrospectively and like, whoa, I was – I mean, I'm, I'm loath, I'm hesitant to use the word, but I was probably depressed, you know. The worst shape I've been in my life, most have drunk in my life, less, of, less money I've made for because it wasn't motivated to do anything. That really affected me. And then that actually carried on through 2018 a little bit too. And it was only – 2019 i started to look at it and be like oh wow i need to sort myself out here yeah i imagine after such a big achievement the, the come down of that must have must have been yeah brutal. Come down, yeah but then the thing is 
big achievements only sound like they're big from the outside. When you're the one who does it, it doesn't feel like that because you know that you're just a normal dude. So you know that if you did it, anyone can do it. So what's the point in having a big fanfare about it? So it was almost a bit of an anti-climax too. Because I just felt like, yeah, it's cool. It took me a long time, but the fact that I could do it meant anyone could do it. So it's not that amazing. And then, yeah. and then also that, like you say, that and then what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that like fitness has been been at the heart of quite a lot of the challenges you've done as well like you spoke you mentioned there that you you got a bit unfit after that happened like you've done the marathons across the Sahara the charity marathon you've got coming up this year at the Serengeti National Park Um, and coming up next you're doing this row across the Atlantic um, which I mean I hate open water so this I'm I'm scared just talking about it but uh, yeah what can you tell us about this upcoming challenge? Well, I'm pretty scared too because I can't really swim. Right. Um, I've been taking lessons in Bangkok just before I left here, actually, and I've never rowed before. I've never been, a, I've never been in the ocean in a rowboat. And uh, what what is there to say? So when I, I met a guy when I was doing my six marathons in the Sahara, I met a guy who was in my tent every night who was a former marine or something, and he had rowed across the Atlantic like ten years ago, and I was like, that's far cooler than I've ever done. I want to do that. How do you get into that? He's a really, he's a lovely guy, but he's a really posh guy. Like I said earlier, it's just always mm-hmm. posh people who get the opportunity to do these things. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was just like oh, rowing and sailing. It's always like people, rich parents, blah, blah. And he just told me to be joining part of this rowing group. that was called ocean rowing society or something on Facebook. And I joined it and I just stalked them from a distance, like seeing all this cool stuff they're doing over the next few years. And then in October, November, just a couple of months ago, there was just a post come up saying last minute vacancy. There's a spot going in a boat that's rowing across the Atlantic. Does anyone want to apply for it? And I applied for it, went through the interview process, blah, 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 paid my money. It's expensive as well. Um, and then got on it. And yeah, so it leaves from Lanzarote. I'm supposed to be starting in four days but because of COVID. I can't get to Lanzarote, so it's delayed. But um, it leaves from Lanzarote off the coast of Morocco. And then it takes two months, about 50 days or so. And you land in Antigua in the Caribbean, 5,000 kilometers, 3,000 miles or so. Is that going to be your most difficult challenge yet, do you think? It's the scariest because like the, the actual discomfort, fitness-wise, I, I might be the fittest. There's four, a team of four and I, I might be the fittest or if I'm not the fittest, it'll be the guy. I don't know if you remember the, a show called Dirty Sanchez growing up, but I'm doing it with one of the guys from Dirty Sanchez. Oh, he's God, quite yeah, yeah. well um but it's about the dis- it's not the fitness that i'm worried about me it's the discomfort it's two hours rowing two hours resting 24 hours a day for seven or eight weeks so you don't ever really wow. probably sleep yeah and you're raising money for is it for two charities you're you're doing that yeah it's, it's actually kind of, it's kind of there's one main charity that we're we're representing um which is called human which is actually a beautiful uh movement that they're trying to start it's, it's like human but m-e-n and mm-hmm. it's basically a, a, a for an actor in london who's created a safe space i'm not big into all this ultra woke stuff but when it comes to mental health i think it's actually a really important conversation to have especially during covid and especially with um with males with the statistics that are are coming out so anyway this guy created this beautiful idea where men could go and congregate and, and see, not necessarily talk about their problems if they don't want to. You can sit there and talk about football if you want, but other people will talk about their problems and you can realize that you're not alone and, and mm. feeling like overwhelmed by, by whatever, whether it's COVID stuff or whatever. Um, and then obviously COVID shut it down quite early because it couldn't meet in groups. So now he does this on, it's going to go back to 
being in person they've got little pockets in most cities in the uk and it's going to grow quite quickly by the looks of things um but then in the meantime because of covid they've been doing it online so they do it online they're doing it online like zoom call with maybe like 20 30 people i think it's 6 30 or 7 30 every monday and it's just amazing mate like everyone's you just like i've never been a part of anything like that anyway so it's, it's a, basically a space for men's mental health and it's beautiful so we're trying to raise 200 grand for them with the rope um and i've become an ambassador for them now recently and it's just such a cool thing that they're doing and i think it's going to be really helpful awesome that sounds good where can people donate to that they can donate to the whole project um just hop on my instagram or blog you'll be able to find it i'll talk about the role a lot at the moment and if you just want to go directly to human it's h-u-m-e-n just google that and you'll be able to sign up for the weekly the um, meetups or whatever you want to call it uh, and they're facilitated by a coordinator it's honestly a really professional setup and it's really cool feels a bit weird when you first log on and you're like god what am i doing here and then after <laughs> 20 minutes and the second one you go you're like oh this is actually there's a real space for this in society it's cool mm. awesome that sounds good hopefully go check that out people if that interests you and donate as well to the challenge that they're doing um has fitness always been a big part of your life or does it just give you a buzz to push yourself now in almost obscure places places that make you push yourself even further yeah it's always it's always been a big part of my life like as a sporty guy playing football and stuff and um i used to play hockey at uni as well and i used to go running but when you're i never really maximized all the free time i had at uni i feel like i should have done more stuff then so i'd never run like a 10k or, or a half marathon or a marathon I didn't, I didn't know any times i went to the gym not like once or twice a week but i wasn't into like bodybuilding supplements and nutrition i didn't understand any of that until a bit later in life um but i wish i'd done it earlier to be honest when i had more free time i understand to be honest the every country in the world thing pretty much consumed my life for 10 years it really did so it was hard to stay in shape i tried to i would go for runs and stuff wherever i am around the world but i wasn't in peak condition by my standards i wouldn't have thought so I, but so in a, in a way when i finished my every country thing it then allowed me to i've always been interested in fitness and so it's allowed me to have the free time to be able to focus on doing like cool fitness challenges and stuff. And I'm really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I do want to touch on um, on your mum, because like you said, you've. I'm, I want to find out if if you've introduced her to this new passion for traveling or maybe if she's somehow instilled it in you from from the offset when you were young. <laughs> Uh, well, it's hard to say because Irish people have got traveling in their blood. Right. So who mm. knows genetic memory and all that. But my mum had, like, had some, had a tough situation with my father who was a bad guy and in that prison and all this stuff. So she kind of kept her under the cosh for, for we ended up leaving, moving countries and all that. So she had a tough time when we were unemployed and blah, blah, blah. So we just didn't travel for 10, 20, 30 years. And my mum had visited a handful of countries like anyone else would on holiday or whatever. Um, and then, because I've always had a really good relationship with my mum, when I first moved to Thailand in 07 to teach English, uh, I would speak to my mum most days anyway. So then, although she, anyway, she would come once a year to visit me to Thailand, right? And then next year, I, we went to India for a holiday together. I was traveling, I would be traveling anyway, and she would come over to one of the countries I happened to be in once a year. And then she got diagnosed with Parkinson's and realized that time is finite, which it is for all of us, but these things make it uh more tangible i guess and i act as a catalyst mm -hmm. so then it became two and three times and obviously my financial situation changed with the blog so i could i could help her with the the costs of all that stuff and now we do loads of trips together which is cool 
Yeah, that's glass. That's glass. I'm glad to see that she she's obviously enjoying these as well. This new lease of life, almost. She just made me a coffee here. You know, I'm 37. Like, she's, and now I've come back and got stuck in COVID and everything. She's like <laughs> 17 again, with laundry and, and dinner <laughs> the last while. You can never say no to it, though. Never say no. Yeah. Also, you started a non-profit to support local communities in, in countries that need support, like Syria and Yemen, for example. I'm curious to hear why you sort of felt that need to sort of give back to the universe, because I'm sure it's been a lot of a lot of hard work, but a lot of fulfilling work as well. Well, it's just, it's cool, mate, because to, there's a few things. Like, so obviously I didn't come from money and, tra- and now I am financially free, right? So, and travel gave me everything. So mm-hmm. for a start, morally i'm compelled to give something back that's first and foremost secondly i feel like people a lot of there's lots of cool people in the world who want to do two cool things number one go to places that everyone doesn't go to so not everyone wants to go on holiday to thailand live in thailand sure but it's not an adventure i know maybe people think it is and i'm sorry to burst the bubble it's not because there's a million people doing the same thing as you right it's all relative i know but still so there's loads of people who want to go to cool countries like they want to go and see what Syria is like. They don't want to hear just all about uh, the negative media spin in Iraq and, and wherever. So they want to go there themselves. And those kind of adventurous people are my kind of people. So that's one. And number two is people also understand, I feel how privileged they are in the modern world, understand that we're very blessed to have free healthcare, free education, a strong passport, disposable income to a certain extent, and um, the capacity to make money and the capacity to grow in a career. And we've got anyone who's born in the West, regardless of the chips on their shoulder, they can pretend about how many uh, obstacles they have. You've got no obstacle compared to the rest of the world. If you're failing, it's because of yourself. You've got every opportunity to succeed. And lots of people have that. And and now they want to give back as part of their trips because they don't want to spend two or three grand on a holiday, drink pina coladas for two weeks, which is also cool but then leave no positive impact. So I kind of tried to marry those two ideas that people want to come to cool places and, and see places that are that would break the narrative that you normally hear about them and also use their money on that trip to give back to the community. So where, where um, normal companies would take the profit margin as profit, of course, we use that margin to like build malaria clinics or sports grounds or kindergartens and all that sort of stuff. So it's been cool. And we meet loads of cool, we meet loads of cool people, both the, in the communities that we do it in and the kind of mentality of the people who come on the trips with us, like are my kind of people. So it's fun. That sounds class. What, what is your, what project are you most proud of so far that you've set up? Um, well, we actually did, I work a lot with the Burmese refugees in, in the North of Thailand so we did a really cool malaria clinic for them last year with a private company. But the one I'm probably most proud of is we identified a community in Arusha in Tanzania, um, a part of the Maasai tribe, just, uh, just outside Arusha, which we'll go to again with the Serengeti Marathon. And my co-founder of our, our nonprofit and I went there first about four years ago and we built, it's like a kind of a shack of a school and don't get any government funding. And they're sitting on dirt floors and it's... Unfortunately, the stereotype that you have about an African school kind of looked like that, right? Right. So we, we built them three new classrooms as part of the school. The rest of the school was still pretty run down, but they had these three like tiled, proper walls, blah, blah, blah. It was quite nice, almost like Western Standard. It was really nice. And then it, that we offered that trip to my followers. Because basically the way we fund it is we bring 16 people who follow me to, to the country. And that's the money that funds the school. And then we go on a cool trip after. So we, like, we build the three classrooms. And then we go on safari and go and party in Zanzibar after to, to celebrate. It's cool. Or like whatever, sometimes like we build a community center in Philippines and then we go and party in Palawan after. It's really fun. 
That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds yeah. Good. So then with, with Tanzania, what happened was the trip sold out in like a day because everyone was like, God, oh, it sounds amazing. We got to do this cool thing. We had to go on safari. We had to go to Zanzibar. So now we've been back five or six times. So that school now has like, got like 10 classrooms, uh, running water, toilets, showers, cla- uh, staff room, and it's almost completely transformed. It's really cool. That's class. It's great to hear as well that you that you want to do those sort of things proactively because you know, there's so many greedy people in the world. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it's nice nice to see that. Um, we, we've flown through uh, all the questions that I planned, but I just have a, a few more for us to round off on. Uh, I want to see what advice you would give someone wanting to travel more uh, and potentially escape their, their, their typical working week lifestyle that they live. You mean to change their entire life and quit their job or you mean to go on holiday though? Or to, to begin maybe, to begin planning for that eventual escape. The most important, the two most important things I would say is number one, you have to sit in a dark room, legit do this. I'm not talking about some Instagram quote sharing rubbish. I mean, you have to literally do this. Sit down, turn off all your Wi-Fi, don't tell your family or friends whoever you live with not to come in and, and spend an hour or two with a pen or paper or days if it takes it. And be honest with yourself about what you want from your life. And if you want to be rich, but you don't want to say it because you feel selfish or whatever, you have to be honest about it. If you want to work in the NGO charity sector, then do that. If you're already 40, but want to be a football coach and you think it's stupid, you then write down football coach. You have to be honest with yourself and it's scary and you have to be humble. So that's the first thing you have to do. Be truly honest with yourself. And then second, once you've done that, then you need to be uh, willing to cut your losses. You need to accept that if what you've written down is not where you are in life, which invariably it won't be, then you have to accept that you've made lots of mistakes and wasted lots of time until this point today. And you have to accept that that time is gone and dead time, but better to change it today than drag on another five years and you've wasted another five years. So you have to cut your, so number one, you have to be honest with yourself what you want. Number two, you have to be willing to cut your losses from all the bad mistakes and wrong paths you've taken and even if that if that means that you've spent years becoming a lawyer but you hate it then that means cutting that and that's difficult Mm -hmm. so the thing is about people who who live the dream live their dream like or follow their their passion and and are happy with their life they've done that but it's so scary and those are the two simple things that you have to do but they're they're simple in concept but they're difficult in practice Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds very raw. It sounds very vulnerable. But if you don't open yourself up like that, then you're you're gonna stay in this current situation you're in. I guess. Uh, and last question, actually, is there anything still on your bucket list? Anything that you that you still want to complete, or have you are you really scraping the barrel just <laughs> trying to find anything now? I, I want to be. There's two things I want to do. Actually, it's something I've just been working on quietly in the last month. I'll tell you in a second. But first thing I want to do is I want to be the first person in history to visit every country, North Pole, South Pole, and climb the seven summits, the highest mountain in every continent. So I'm working towards that at the moment. Mm. Um, and then there's some plan I'm doing. I shouldn't say in case someone steals my idea and does it before me. But there's me and I follow this guy on Instagram called Aldstock, A-U-L-D underscore stock. It's like it means old in Irish. He used to play for Leinster, some big beast rugby guy, right? Mm. And um, he does loads of cool challenges like I do. So now we're friends. And him and I are thinking about maybe being the first people ever to row and cycle, basically human powered around the whole world. No one's ever done it in one, like to go around the whole world without using any engine, all man powered. So I'm thinking about putting that together. It takes quite a lot of time, maybe get a documentary. So that would be row across the Atlantic cycle across 
cycle probably from maybe either South America or if we, or if we, or if we rode to Miami, cycle across the USA, then row across uh, the Pacific and then cycle all across China, Trans-Siberian, all across Europe, back to the UK. That sounds class. I think the BBC will be missing a trick if they don't get that on a documentary. But um, yeah, Johnny, we've uh, we've gone through everything that I, that I wanted to touch on. Thank you so much for joining me on the Football and Feelings podcast. I've learned a lot from you and I'm sure our listeners would have as well. I hope you've enjoyed yourself as well. Yeah, thanks, mate. Good luck with it. Pleasure. Thank you very much. And to the listener, thank you for joining me on the Football and Feelings podcast. Like I said at the beginning, give it a five-star rating if you've enjoyed it. If you haven't enjoyed it, then don't leave a one-star rating. Don't don't be that person. Um, But thank you very much. Take care of yourself. See you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.